And good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, it's great to see you guys. I'm going to just slip one more in because I think it's still permissible this morning. Merry Christmas, everybody. I I have to, like, my confession as I start is, um, okay, so I spent like 10 years in the academic world. I was teaching at Eternity Bible College. And some of you know, you teachers know how amazing an academic schedule is. It's incredible. I mean, it's a grind for the semester, and then you get to those like long winter breaks and the summer breaks, and it's just incredible. So coming to pastoral ministry, all right, and uh, it was like one of my first Christmases here at Creekside, we, uh, it, you know, Christmas fell on a Sunday morning, you know, and I just, I couldn't fathom like, wait, we're going to have like church service on Christmas day? Like that doesn't seem right. And it was like, nope, nope, yep, we do it. This is what we do, you know? You don't cancel Sunday. And, um, and it felt like such a drag until I actually got there and was with it. And so I have to say right now, coming from, uh, we did our own little mini family Christmas uh, on Christmas Eve morning, and then coming here to be with so many of you guys as my church family uh, Christmas Eve night, and then back with my extended family Christmas Day, and then now back here with all of you guys again today. It just feels wonderful. Like, I, I love it. I'm not trying to be sappy as a pastor. I'm just saying, like, it's been a family weekend, and I, I honestly love it. And next week, Christmas is on a Sunday, and I can't wait to see you guys all here on Christmas morning together. It's going to be special, but um, I love it. It's beautiful, and I'm, I'm so glad to um, just be here with you guys celebrating like this. So um, this morning, my, my um, intention is to not teach you anything, okay? So how's that for an intro to this? Um, uh, but I'm in good company with that. Socrates claimed that he never taught anybody anything. Um, what they needed to know was already inside of them, and he was simply sort of drawing it out. And I'm not going to be Socratic by any means this morning, but um, this morning is all about just simple reminders. It's a simple family Sunday, right? We've had our Christmas celebration. We had all of our Advent, all of our lead up to Jesus coming to be with us. And this morning, what I want us to do is simply remember a beautiful and a simple truth together. And so in order to do that, we're going to go into Deuteronomy chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And, um, and this, is a, this is a remembrance sort of a passage that we're going to look at this morning. And the setting here, um, what's happening in the setting is in Deuteronomy, God has already uh, worked with his people. So he's called Abraham, called him away from his people and everything else, and just promised him, your, your descendants are going to be like the sand on the shore, like the stars in the sky. Like, I'm going to make this huge nation out of you. And out of your family, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So there's this promise of Abraham's family that's going to be this blessing to the earth. And that's where the nation of Israel was sort of born and came through that. And Israel was then enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and God led them out through the Red Sea, um, took them to the base of Mount Sinai. We actually talked about this in our Advent stuff. But they were God's people. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. And then finally, um, when we get to Deuteronomy, God's people are right on the verge of the promised land, the kingdom that God was going to give them. So this is a moment of anticipation for them. This is a group of people that have already been through so much with the Lord, and their parents before them had been through so much with the Lord, and God's preparing them to come in, and this is what it's going to look like for you to come and cross over now into this territory, and I'm going to give you this beautiful land, this promised land, this land of Israel, the kingdom of God here on earth. Um, I'm going to give it to you, but here's how we prepare ourselves for that. And so I'm going to read a couple of verses here. God's reminding them of the things that they need to know as they're coming in. So he says in in, um, Deuteronomy 4, verses 7 and 8. Oh, brother. Bruce, I think I'm going to need your help this morning. Thank you. Um, 
verse, verses 7 and 8. He says, What great nation is there that has a God so near it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? I love that. I, I, I consider it a huge honor to be able to like um, to pick sometimes what we as a church family focus on. And I am just so drawn to this. And I'm so like happy to be reminding us of these simple truths that he says right, right here, right? What nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? And what nation has laws so righteous, so good, such a blessing as the laws that we have? I love that... that um, the Lord could kind of say this, like he's speaking through Moses and all this kind of stuff, but just saying to them like, hey, no nation has it as good as you. You have a God that is so close to you. And you have to understand, so at that time in like the, the ancient Near East, like there were lots of nations and there were lots of gods and every nation had their God or gods and they would look to this God to kind of, any military victory was because our God was for us, right? And any blessing like food and, and, and there's abundance and plenty, it's because our God was there for us. But the problem with all these other gods, I mean, first of all, they're not real, okay? So that's going to be problematic. But the other side of it is, their gods, you had to do a lot to get the God to pay attention to you. And so we can see, I mean, there's examples in the Old Testament where there's, they're full on like sacrificing their children um, to make the God happy, to get them to pay attention, like literally killing their children. So there's a few kids in here. Aren't you glad that we worship this God? He's a good one, okay? Yeah. Uh, and so, so you, had to, you had to like harm yourself at times. We see examples of the Old Testament, people like harming themselves because they just need to get the gods who are up there to look this way and care about what's happening to us. We're suffering. Pay attention. Listen to us. Please just bless us, right? You had, to, you had to beg. You had to do penance. You had to work hard enough. And sometimes if God wasn't listening, it's because, okay, we obviously aren't being good enough. Let's double down. Let's do it again. And so there's all of these um, realities to the gods that everybody at the time worshipped, where they had to work hard to appease the God, to bring the God down to them, to get the God to care about them. And then there's Yahweh. There is the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, who, who is not far off, who is not needing to be brought down, who is not needing to be convinced, but no, there's Yahweh who appears to his people, right? He comes to them and he finds them in their distress and he says, I'm here. I'm in fact going to be the one to personally lead you out. And so Israel has had these, these 40 years of experience of God as a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of, no, I have it backwards, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Um, I just saved myself a whole bunch of emails right there. That's so good. And, uh, and so he, he is the God that came to them, right? And he is personally leading them, right? And he is coming down to instruct them and he is showing them his love and he himself has been feeding them with manna from heaven. And it's a God who is just so close. And when God orders their society, first as they're traveling around, he gives them the tabernacle, this massive tent in which he himself is going to dwell. His glory is going to be in that tent, literally in the neighborhood of the people. And finally, when he brings them into the kingdom, he'll create the temple where he's going to be literally there amongst his people. And so God can look at Israel and say, what other nation have you seen around you who has a God who is so near to you as I am to you? I mean, what a, what a profound thing. And it's a thing, I think, unfortunately, in the Christian church, we have it pretty good. And our theology, I think, is pretty amazing. And we can take for granted the fact that Emmanuel, we say it all Christmas long, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And we say that and we know it, but do we realize it and do we remember it? So let's remember church as a family, Emmanuel, God with us. 
I love that this idea of a God who is close to his people, that, that like whatever that was, 3,500 years ago or so, that God is speaking these words to his people, that that was a striking point then. God is close to you. He's near to you. Because I can say now, 3,500 years later, that's a big deal to me, and it should be to us, right? In a time of isolation, in a time where we're not sure, what a time where everything's uncertain, the fact that we have a God who is close to us. Okay, and so I think this is Moses asking this of the people. It's God asking his people in the Old Testament. But I could look at us all today, right, and just say, hey, Creekside Church, let me ask you, what group of people on the face of the earth is there who has a God that is closer to them as we have today? There's nobody. There's nobody has a God who is closer than, than who is with us today, and it's a beautiful thing. I hope we feel the weight of that. And I hope that as we say that, that, that God is close, God is near, God is with us. I hope that as we say that, there's thoughts that come to mind. There's instances, there's stories that we've heard. Now, the other thing he mentions here in verse 8 is what, he says, what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this today, or all this law that I set before you today? So statutes and rules that are so righteous. Now, I've already mentioned some of the statutes and rules that other nations had, right? As they're worshiping their God, it's things like, okay, yeah, God will give you food, but you got to kill your kid first, right? Like, so there's, there's these not so great, not so righteous laws that were on display then. Um, there's a lot of it was about domination and those who were like in power and those who were elite kind of kept themselves there and built up their own fame and everything else and everyone was there to serve them. But by contrast... What we have is we have God creating all these laws and giving them to Israel, and these laws are all about God's glory first, right, but also the goodness of his people, like the good and the blessing of his people. And so there's law after law about worship God, like serve him only, um, don't kill each other, right, which, which is like not that hard of a law to keep, to be honest, you know, and it's great, right? Aren't we gl- gr- glad that there's laws like that? And there's so many other things that are focused on our good and laws that bring equity, right? Laws that forbid wickedness and oppression. There's laws all through the Old Testament that do things like welcome in refugees and care for people who are oppressed and who are hurting, right? Finding those who are destitute and providing for their needs, caring for people that are different and that are hurting. Like all of these laws, God is just looking at people and saying, I'm bringing you into this kingdom. I'm bringing you into this promised land. And I just, let's remember for a minute, there's no God that's as near to you as I am to you. And, and there's no laws, there's no rules so righteous, so good, such a blessing to you as these laws that I'm giving you. And man, God invites his people into that. And so I want to invite us um, to just think about that too, okay? What, 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 what God is there? What religion? What, um, what worldview? What like political uh, philosophy is there in the world around you with laws and rules and culture and ways of being that are so good as the laws that we, Creekside, have as we worship and serve our God? And I, I want to think of the words that God speaks. Man, those words that God speaks are so good, Right? They're so full of healing. They're so full of wisdom and direction. And so the more we find ourselves in the word of God and leaning into that, we find ourselves rejuvenated in our souls. Yes, he is good. Yes, I remember. That would be good for me to follow. Yes, this will shape my life and it will be a good thing, right? We can think of the, the, the words of God. We can think of the works of God. It's the things that God does. As God does these works, man, those are good things. And we can think of healing that we've experienced. We can think of times that he like moved, times that he provided, times that we, we thought, man, everything was lost and there's no hope, but God showed up and came through. And Israel had a whole slew of those things. 
but we do as well today. We have those things. And so, man, the things that God does for us are so good. And then we can think of the ways of God, the way that he is, right? The way he calls us to be, calling us to be gracious and forgiving, calling us to love our enemies, calling us to lay ourselves down for the people that we love, um, calling us to just live together in unity and harmony and love and truth and all of these different things. Think of how good that is. And man, I've seen in our church family how good those ways are. It's one thing to, to like sit here and talk about them, right? But as I've been in different ones of your homes and as we've gathered in gospel communities and we've served here and out in the community, we've put those ways of God to the test. And I can say, man, it's so beautiful to do the things that God is calling us to do. And so there's this call and there's this reminder that as we read these different things, man, there's such a goodness to the Lord, such a goodness in the words that he speaks. And and then here we go. I want us to read um, verse 9. He tells them this. Thank you, Bruce. Um, He says this, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So here is a warning, okay? They're about to go into the kingdom. They're about to to enter the promised land. This is where everything's been leading up to, and God gives them this huge, important warning, right? Take care, right? What does he say? He says, um, keep your soul diligently, okay? So this is going to be important, right? Put active work into this. Make sure, like, you're diligent. Work really hard to guard, protect your soul, okay? This is going to be really important. And how do we do that? What is he calling us to do? It's actually really simple. The action is, remember, (laughs) don't forget the things that God has done for you, right? So you're going in, man, this is so vital. Protect your heart. There's trouble ahead. If you don't do this, everything's going to go bad. But here's the thing. All you have to do is just remember. Guard your heart carefully so that you can remember. Now, I will say it is actually a really important command because I will say coming like in my 40th year now, it is getting tougher to remember things, okay? It gets, it gets actually difficult. So, so I will not ask Laura to testify about this, but um, some of us know what it's like to go into the grocery store and you're like, okay, there was three things I'm sure that I was supposed to get and I can think of one and then five others that I wasn't supposed to get, right? And so I can't remember. I have to write it down and if I don't, like it's all off and of course I wouldn't think to call and check on that, right? Or, or like other things I tend to forget, right? I tend to forget how I've felt in the past when I have had that extra slice of pizza. You know what I'm saying? It's like such a good idea right now, but if I could just remember what it was like last time, okay? Or the extra Christmas cookies or whatever it is, right? And so we, if we could just remember, right? But it's hard in the moment to remember. Um, I, I, I'm sure you guys can relate to me on this. It's hard to remember people's names, okay? Many, many of you have had to suffer through me butchering, you know, the name of your kid or yourself or whatever. And it just, it's hard, right? But here's the reality, okay? Here's the reality. If it matters, then we can be diligent to guard our souls, and we can work harder to remember the things that matter, okay? And so I work really hard to remember names, and I'm learning in my older age now, like my middle age now, to like eat better and know that I'll feel awful the next day if I don't, and, and how to keep a list, and how to, you know, all these kinds of things. Like we, we work at it, and if it matters to us, we work at it. And so here's, here's the call. And how easy is it for us to just say, hey, guys, let's remember the things that God's done, Right? And we could all agree. Like, nobody in here is like, no, I want to forget what God's done. No, we all want to, right? But here's the call. Israel was charged with be diligent about this. Work hard to make yourself remember. And so I'm going to say the same thing to us today. Let's work hard to remember the things that God has done. 
the ways that he's shown up for us. The times that we prayed, man, and we might have prayed for weeks, we might have prayed for years, and then finally God showed up and acted, and it was like this moment of tears, right? And we're just like, God, you are so good. I will never forget what you've done for me. But then what happens? We forget what he's done for us. And we get in a similar situation again, and all is hopeless again, and everything else. Man, if we could work hard to get ourselves to the point of remembering what we've seen God do. And so here's, here's, here's my reminder. I shared this with the staff and the elders as we kind of celebrated Christmas in a Christmas party, but here's some things I've seen God do just in the last 12 months um, in, in our church family here. We've seen people meet Jesus for the first time. Like in our church family, people encounter Jesus who had never had an encounter with Jesus happen for the first time. It's a beautiful thing. This year, the last 12 months, we saw a whole bunch of people get baptized, people that were either just brand new with the Lord or that have been walking with the Lord, but taking that step of obedience, and it's a beautiful thing. We've seen uh, this year a whole lot of people that didn't have a church home, that felt homeless church-wise for a variety of reasons, finding a church home with our family, becoming part of the family. It's a beautiful thing. We've even found people that have been burnt out on church, like church is unhealthy, I'm never doing that again come and find a life-giving community here amongst us. And, and look, I'm saying these things just real quick. I'm saying these things not to be like, aren't we amazing? I'm saying these things to say, look at what God has done. I mean, these are literally the things we pray about, right? I, I, I know to a certain extent how to preach a sermon. I know how to get a, um, a church service together, right? We know how to like set up rooms and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know how to change somebody's heart. I don't know how to um, create the relational connections necessary to make church feel like a family. I don't know how to um, miraculously have, give somebody an encounter with the Lord, right? And so I'm saying these to say, look at what God has done, right? On the surface, it might look like we sit here and we have church services week after week, but I'm reminding us, as I was reminding myself and our, our staff and our elders, God has been working. And there's prayers that we've prayed desperately, that we've asked him to work, and man, God has showed up over this last year. We've seen over this last year a bunch of people finding their gifts, their God-given talents and abilities and gifts, finding those things, becoming empowered to use them, and it's amazing to see that. We've seen people healed of a variety of illnesses. Like that has happened this year, some on a big scale, some on a small scale, but it's happened and God has shown up and it's been so good. And then, you know, a, a thing that I really related to with our other ministry leaders is we all of us have seen, I, I especially, and all of us on, on the staff and elders have seen times where we've come with like this offering, a sermon or a song or a um, kids program or something where you're just like, okay, Lord, this is after all the work I did, this is what I'm left with, you know? This is all I've got, Lord. Would you please take it and make it into something better? You know, just like the, the loaves and the fishes that Jesus multiplied, we've all stood there and watched times where God just took that and used it to touch people's lives in ways that I, we never have prepared for, never had the skill to make happen, but we've seen God do that over and over and over again. It's been a tough couple of years ministry-wise, and, and God has done that again and again and again, and it's so beautiful. We've seen people that are, um, you know, homeless in our community be cared for and loved and treated like family. We've seen a lot of people go from being isolated to being treated like family. And so just, again, just pausing there, man, we've seen God do a lot of things this year. And these are just the things that came to my mind when I sat down to write a list, you know? I mean, what else have we seen God do? And what things am I leaving out that you can see for our church family? And what things can you see that I don't know about on any level, right? Things that God's done in your own heart, things that God's done in your own family, in your extended family, around the world, with, through the connections that you've seen, times that we've prayed. And so what, I, what I'd like us to do um, in the middle of the sermon, don't worry, I, there's so much more sermons still to come, okay? Um, don't get the wrong idea here. 
But in the middle, I'd like us to pause and reflect, okay? And this is something that Mr. Rogers would do when he'd get a chance to make a speech. He'd force everyone to take like a minute of silence and think about something. And so channeling my inner, my inner Mr. Rogers, which is getting bigger all the time now, um, I'm just going to invite us to pause and reflect for a minute, okay? So here's, here's the command. Keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Must they depart from your heart all the days of your life? We're getting ready to close out 2021, okay? And there's things we all prayed for. There's things we all longed for. And so let's just take a minute where you're at now. Don't worry about what's happening. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be awkward. It doesn't matter. Let's just take a minute to soak in and reflect on the things that we've seen God do this year. So what comes to your mind? Let's just process that in his presence right now. We try to think of a time this year when you were praying diligently for something. And just before the Lord, just process what God did in response to that. Maybe think of this year or a time further back in the past where you just knew that God was there, that he made his presence known to you. And what was that like? Now let's just take a minute in our own hearts as we are, whatever has come to mind, whatever God's bringing to the front, let's just thank him properly um, for those things. Just speak to him now and thank him for what he's done and how he's shown up. Lord, thank you for the ways that you care and provide and show up and heal and focus and set us straight. Lord, you are so good. You are so faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. So one more thing before we move on from this. He's telling us, don't forget the things your eyes have seen. Now he's talking to a generation that inherited a whole lot of things that God did from the generation prior to that, right? So let's keep in mind too, not just the things that we've seen, but the things that, that those who have gone before us have seen and passed down to us. I, I have... Um, there's a few of you in this church that are a little bit older than I am, and I have learned a ton from you about what God's done in this church family. I mean, there's things, there's, there's like huge miracles that God has done in this church family that I simply wasn't here for. But because faithful people have passed these stories on, I get to praise God for that. My family is the same way, a tradition of hearing about the things that God's done, I get to praise for it. And, and it's on me, it's on us to pass that on to our kids and to our next generation, all these kinds of things. And so the call is, let's Remember, and let's pass it on. Okay, and now we're going to skip further ahead in Deuteronomy chapter 4, okay? And so now he's going to give us a, um, there's this warning to remember, okay? Now there's this different kind of warning coming in. And so in verse 25, he says this. So this is going to be when you're in the land, okay? When, your father, when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, 
And by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, uh, so as to provoke him to anger, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone in works of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. All right, what a crazy warning that God's giving his people, all right? And so he's saying, hey, I've shown up for you, you've seen me, and, and really Israel at this point had been incredibly grumbly, like at this point. You read the Exodus account, and you read all this stuff, and you're like, man, God is literally setting bread from heaven down on the ground in the wilderness before you, and you're finding a way to complain about that? Like, that seems rough, and I, I like to feel superior to them as if I would do anything different, but I probably would be right there with them. But they've been really grumbly, and God's saying, hey, about to put you into this land. Everything's going to be amazing as you go in there. But here's the problem. You're going to see everything. You're going to receive all this goodness. You're going to see me work, and you're going to forget. You're going to forget, okay? So he's just told them, be diligent. Make sure you don't forget. But hey, here's the reality. You're going to forget, and you're going to go into this land, and man, you're going to be tempted to worship all of these man-made things, all of these God-made things, the creatures and the things that your hands have made. And he says, you're going to find this, this pull to worship those things instead of worshiping me. And he even says, it's crazy, he even says, you're going to do it. Like, this will happen. You are going to do it. And yet God is gracious enough to warn them and say, hey, this is going to happen, but he's going to provide a way for them to process it. But you know, it's, it's hard, like, it's hard for me to get myself there, to think, okay, if I was there too, I probably would have made a calf out of gold and sat down and worshiped it and been like, thank you for saving me, calf that I just made out of gold. Like, I can't get myself there to be like, yeah, totally, I would have been that guy that, like, made the calf and worshiped it. Like, I don't know. But there's obviously this huge pull to it, and, and, I, and I don't think we're any less prone to idolatry today. I think there's this pull to it. So what is the pull? I think that some of it might be that we have this innate tendency, this longing to have a God that we can see, right? It's a little tricky worshiping a God who's invisible, right? And mysterious and, and not always like predictable in the ways that we want him to. And so there's, there's something to a God that you can see, that you can worship. And I think we often do that with the heroes that we have, you know, the people that we look up to, whether it be um, some of these like, man, big, famous pastors that we look to, and then we are, our faith is rocked when we see them fall because they're imperfect, and actually they were the whole time. Uh, maybe it's stuff that we give our power to, but whatever it is, right, that, like wanting a God that we can see, or I think the other side of it is maybe on some level wanting a God that we can control, right? A God that we can predict, a God that we can understand all the way. That's not the God that we have. It's not the God who is real. It's not the God who exists. He is mysterious, and he is transcendent, and he comes to be near to us, right? But there's so much more to him that we don't understand. And so there's going to be this pull. So their, their idolatry is they look to these things, these man-made things, um, or the, the natural things in the world around them. They look to them as sources of life. Look to them as sources of protection against their enemies or against the uncertainty of the world. Look to them as for sources of happiness, provision, salvation. And so this is what was happening. In the, and the idea is like, I need to give myself to this thing and kind of pray, devote myself, lift up this thing. Otherwise, my life's not going to go the way that I need it to go, right? And man, that seems primitive. And I think we have, even in the church, this sort of like evolutionary bias, like oh, we've come so far since then, we would never, right? But think of how many man-made objects, even still, we kind of give ourselves over to as sources of happiness and life and protection and maybe even salvation in some cases, right? I mean, think of your phone that sits in your pocket 
And how much does your happiness and your information and your understanding depend on that phone in your pocket that you can look to and find the answers to everything, find satisfaction when you're down, connect with the things around you, right? There's a lot of power we give that. Um, the cars that we have, the careers that we have, the, um, the houses that we own. Uh, we might even like look to the families that we are part of and produce, and we, we put an undue like, um, strain on, man, that family means everything to me. It is the most important thing. And we begin to lift it up as the source of something that we can understand, to some extent maybe control or at least participate in, look to for our happiness, look to for our strength, look to for our provision. And all these things we kind of lift up, and I'm just saying it's not that different than the people that make the idols out of wood and stone and worship it. They're things that don't belong in this ultimate place but that we have a tendency to exalt. And so the question is, when we imagine our God, is he perfectly understandable? Is he controllable? Is he predictable? Is it possible that we're kind of making up for the mysteriousness of God by turning to other things? Because God is warning these people back then, hey, this is going to happen. And so the call is, the reminder is, hey, this is going to happen. And I think we're no less prone to it now. It's going to happen. Um, but man, the more we can let go of these idols, right? Let go of these things that we're giving power and, and hope and everything to, like turn instead and look back to God and remember, okay, wait, hang on, hang on. I'm looking to... Uh, my social media image or something for my happiness. I'm looking to my, like getting into this one certain friend circle to give me happiness. I thought if I just reached this one stage in my career, it would provide everything that I needed and give me happiness. The more we can let go of those things and hold them with open hands, the more we can remind ourselves, okay, wait, hang on, hang on. God has always been the source of my happiness. God's words have always been the ones that have given me life and hope, right? And so we, we call back our minds to remembering this whole thing. And so here's how God says this in verse 29. Um, thanks, Bruce. It, verse 29, it says, but from there, okay, so, so remember, you're gonna, he says, you're going to, like, God's going to take you away from your land, and you, you're going to serve, even in captivity, you're going to serve these idols, but he says, from there, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him, if you search after him with all your heart and with all your, all your soul. So here is this crazy thing. God's saying, man, you're going to turn to idols and I'm going to take you out of your land because of it. This promised land, this kingdom that I'm putting into you, there's going to come a day where you turn to the idols, you turn away from me and I'm going to pull you out of this land. But even from there, what you have to do is then you turn to me and you seek me. And what's going to happen when you turn to me and you seek me is you're going to find me. If you seek me, you're going to find me. I mean, how gracious is God? Like, God's surprisingly chill about this whole thing, right? Like, just, you're going to abandon me, and I'm going to take you out of this land that I'm giving you now. And yet, even then, even from that place, even when all is lost, even when you're so far away and this, this judgment has come, seek me, and you're going to find me. Like, that's it. If you seek for me with all your heart, you're going to find me. I love that. I love the simplicity of, like, when you find yourself in this situation, and believe me, you will, Try, this is what you have to do. It's so simple. It's so easy. Just seek me, and you're going to find me. I, one of the things I, I love, um, and I, I, uh, it's one of those things that, like I don't buy for myself, but like I look at it every time I'm in a bookstore. There's the, um, what's it called? The Worst Case Survival Guide, right? So it tells you how to like survive getting like hit by a bus or like attacked by a bear or like quicksand, okay? And this is the one that's easy for me to remember. If you ever get in quicksand, okay? It's like, what are you gonna do, right? You fight and claw? No, 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 that's, that's certain death, okay? If you get into quicksand, if there's a vine or something, you pull yourself out, but the, the deceptively simple solution is you lay back onto your back and you let yourself float, let your legs float up to the top and say, it may take hours for you to just kind of slowly do it, but just like 
get yourself back to the edge, and that's it, right? So when you find yourself in that disaster situation, all you got to do is remember, okay, this is bad. This is really bad. But hang on. I just got to remember that one thing. What was it? It was really simple. Okay, float on my back. And it warns you, don't float on your face, okay? So if you're, if you're the kind of person that might be prone to that, don't do it. Float on your back, okay? But here's the survival guide that we actually need. When you find yourself and you're far from God and your heart has wandered after other things and man, you've kind of made a mess of it. And maybe, maybe there's a few of us that come to the end of 2021 and we're like, man, I've made a mess of it. And it is rough and things are broken. And, and however much of that you see as your own fault versus somebody else's, if you find yourself in that space and you feel far from the Lord, here's the simple solution. Seek the Lord. It's that easy. And God gives it to his people knowing, like at a high point, I'm about to give you the land and you're going to take it. It's going to be amazing, but you're going to go away. You're going to turn away. But when you do, look, from that point of utter despair, of utterly being cast off from the place where I brought you, when you're there, just seek the Lord. And when you seek me, like you'll seek for me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Man, those are beautiful words that God gives to his people. And how important are they for us now, right? Here's, here's what's crazy, too. Bruce, could you give us that next slide? What's crazy, too, is this exact refrain, it becomes a refrain throughout the rest of the Old Testament. God keeps coming back to his people again and again and again, reminding them, like, hey, seek me and you're going to find me, right? So this isn't just one promise he made. He's constantly just saying, like, guys, this is the whole thing. This is the formula. This is the important thing to remember when you get into distress. If you seek me, then you're going to find me. And he's talking about times when people did seek him and they did find him. And we even see Jesus repeating it again, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find. And so the way back for us is always paved in this idea of man. It doesn't matter how far you get the answer is always going to be the same. Seek the Lord and find him, okay? And so the, the, the way that I want to leave us this morning is this. That's our answer. That's the whole thing. So let's work hard to not forget. Let's remember these things that God has done. Let's store them away, and let's get ourselves as good as we possibly can at remembering things. And, and here's the reality. Like, some of us, the men at least, and probably some of the women, are really bad at remembering things. So let's remind each other of the things that God has done. Let's make that a thing that we do when we come together and we sing these songs. Let's remind each other of the good things that God has done as we talk to each other in our gospel communities, in our homes, out in the lobby, out in our community. Let's remind ourselves the good things that God has done. And every time we find ourselves in a place where we're, we're separated, we're far off, we feel distant from God, let's just bring ourselves back to that place, remind ourselves, man, seek the Lord and he will be found by us. He's made us that promise. Now, look, I, God is... Um, mysterious. He works differently than I ever would. And I know that most of us have had the experience of, okay, Lord, I'm seeking you, but I'm not hearing your voice in return, right? We know what that's like, but I don't think that changes this promise. Seek me and you'll find me. He doesn't say how quickly. He doesn't say how it'll feel. He doesn't say when, right? But seek him and we're going to find him in the midst of that. I think, man, I think the door, the, the door, the, the Lord just leaves the door wide open to us wherever we are. So some of you in this church family are like beautiful people and you have um, estranged kids. I'd have to say that carefully, okay? Some of you do have strange kids, but I won't say which ones. But some of you have children that are estranged, right? That have made life choices that are different than you'd want them to be. They've gotten involved in things that you don't want. And so there becomes this, this wedge and this tension. And man, I tell you, like my, my girls are the age that they are, and they're not any older than that. I don't know how to deal with that, but I've learned from so many of you guys that have wrestled with these things, the importance of simply continuing to love your child 
and to be able to say, hey, I don't agree with the choices you're making, but I'm letting you know the door is always open to come back home. I'm always here and I always love you and I'm not going to stop loving you. And man, things get hard and there's a lot of gray area in all that. But knowing that even when that tension and that estrangement and that wedge in the relationship comes just to say, hey, the door is open. I love you. I want you back anytime you're willing to step back. That is such a beautiful reminder because it is exactly, I think, what God is telling his people here. And it's what we're passing on to each other today. Man, I'm here. The house is always open. I don't have to agree with everything that you've done or are doing, but I'm here and I love you. And so the question for us is just, how far have we gotten from the Lord? At what ways do we feel distant? Um, how have we made a mess of things, our relationships with God or with other people? Um, where are we hurting and in finding all these tension points now? And let's just offer it to the Lord. So let's do that together. Um, let's, let's do one more time, just kind of pausing, reflect. The band is going to come on up front. They're going to lead us in worship in just a minute. But let's take another moment of silence here together. Just another moment to pause and reflect as we close out this calendar year. And let's just kind of um, take a moment to reflect before the Lord, to ask God to speak to us about the things that have not gone the way that we planned this year or for the past however many years. How distant or far or how hurt do you feel right now at the end of the year? What are those ways? What are those pain points? Let's just process that for a minute. Before we sing together now, I'm just going to invite us to listen to these words from the Lord that he spoke thousands of years ago, but that are so true for us today as well. He says, but from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Let's just enter into a time of worship with that invitation strong in our hearts and our minds.